Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. As I suspect all of our listeners know, one of the really big recent news items around basic income was the fact that Chicago is exploring the policy. They've formed a task force now, which is looking at how the policy might affect Chicagoans and also what form it should take in order to best address economic security there. So I got to speak with Alderman Amea Pawar, who is leading the charge in Chicago. And just for our listeners, an alderman is the Chicago equivalent of a city council member. So here's Owen speaking with Alderman Pawar. Alderman Amea Pawar, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So we've been seeing a lot of reports about something involving basic income in Chicago. Uh, could you just start by telling us what is, is going on there? Yeah, so in June of this year, 2018, I introduced a resolution asking the mayor to impanel a task force um, to study universal basic income and and move forward on a pilot at the municipal level um, to address, one, um, the existing social vulnerability or concentrated poverty in Chicago, right? You can, we're in a place where the economy's changed such that you can work one or two full-time jobs and still can't make ends meet. Um, And then understand that that issue now converges with the future of work and automation. And so you've got a coming change uh, to the workforce that'll displace people out of the workforce from the upper middle class down. And so you're going to be creating a new sort of level of vulnerability. And I think there is a convergence of these issues that we need to start tackling at the municipal level, frankly, because the federal government's not going to do anything as it relates to income inequality, uh, as is evidenced by the recent trillion-dollar tax cut that went to the wealthiest. And state governments are also having a tough time because, in many ways, they're pitting urban areas against rural communities and vice versa. And so cities have an opportunity to lead. In many ways, cities are, are nation states. And I think it's time for a city like Chicago to take a national lead and a global lead in the conversation around uh, basic income, around modernizing their income tax credit, and about addressing poverty and the coming uh, wave of automation in a real meaningful way. So, you know, you, you just mentioned those converging factors of vulnerability, poverty, and then, you know, the future of work and automation. Uh, are you seeing that right now, do you think, in Chicago? I think certainly in the in the service and hospitality uh, sector, you see um, an increased usage of of screens and iPads and sort of these ordering stations. Um, more restaurants are moving fast, casuals are eliminating serving staff. So we're seeing um, automation impact the hospitality industry. Uh, Amazon is about to open their second uh, personless store. So you're seeing this creep into retail. Um, we see lawyers uh, are, are starting to uh, be phased out, like contract attorneys who usually worked in the discovery process. You know, optical character recognition and some of the other types of software is automating discovery in some ways. So there is a convergence, and I think it's not science fiction anymore. I think people know it's coming. I think they don't know what to do about it. And then, of course, there is a vulnerable set of folks who have been dealing with these issues for many years. and um, the problem with serving the poorest among us is that our public policy is undergirded by a really broken frame, right? That some people deserve more than others. And so I think there's a really interesting opportunity here to, to address all of these issues simultaneously. And I think Chicago should take the lead. Yeah, that's, that's very, I mean, I guess exciting is not quite the right word, but, but yeah, I think that's, you know, the sort of forward thinking that we're starting to see or around the country. 
how did other aldermen and just the public in general re- respond when you started forwarding this idea? So, you know, when I was walking the council floor, um, rounding up sponsors, we got to 37 sponsors of the 50 aldermen. So more than a majority, a uh, significant majority of city council supports um, a pilot program in Chicago um, and the creation of this task force. Um, you know, the public reaction, I think, is, I think people are trying to figure out what's going on. I think they can feel the changes in the workforce. They know it's coming. I mean, we talk about driverless cars and what that will mean for truck drivers and the displacement of, you know, primarily middle-aged white men out of, out of, the, out of that field. Um, and so people can kind of feel it, right? Uh, certainly in, in, in today's politics, we see, you know, people like President Trump dividing uh, poor white communities in rural, communi- in rural areas against urban centers uh, and against poor black and brown people. And as a candidate for governor, I certainly saw this as I traveled the state, the post-NAFTA effect, where we, we saw lots of jobs from factory towns leave. People were promised lots of investment for training and new jobs, and that never came. And the only thing that they saw in their community was a super Walmart movement. So they were once making 20, 25, 30 bucks an hour 20 years ago, and they're now making a fraction of that. So you can see people's temperatures sort of elevated. They know it's coming. I think the reaction publicly has been sort of mixed in the sense that they're like, okay, what are we, what are we going to do? And I don't know if people know necessarily where to start. And that's why we started this effort in Chicago. So, yeah, let's get into whatever details you have about, about the task force and the trial. Can you say anything more about uh, what's on the docket here? Yeah. So the mayor impaneled the task force, and uh, I'm chairing the task force with Tom Balanoff, who's the president of SEIU Local 1. Um, uh, and Selena Roldan, who's uh, the CEO of the, the Greater Chicago Red Cross. Um, we have all the ma- major foundations in Chicago at the table, leaders from labor, um, leaders from the tech field, um, and social justice organizations sitting um, together to come up with recommendations on what a pilot in Chicago for UBI or basic income might look like. The second bucket of issues is um, modernizing the earned income tax credit, which will include expanding it at the federal level or making recommendations for federal expansion, making a recommendation for state, uh, a creation of a state EITC. And then, of course, what we can do at the municipal level to create an EITC absent a current revenue stream. And then the third bucket is looking at other issues related to poverty reduction that normally don't get a lot of attention. Like, for example, the diaper divide. You know, one in three parents can't afford to put diapers on their kids. And to go to childcare, you need to put, you need to have diapers. So if you can't afford diapers, you can't send your kid to childcare and then you can't go to work. And if you're on public aid, you can't buy diapers with SNAP. So this is an issue that is forcing or creating the mass incarceration of women. And there's a technical fix. Like, why are we preventing people from buying diapers with public aid? There's an easy fix there. But this is an issue that doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, it's a technical fix to public policy, and I think when you layer it against um, the future of work and you layer it against uh, basic income, these are all connected. Yeah, I, I have a two-year-old, and the thought of raising him raising him with diapers is hard enough. Um, I, I don't even know where to start with without diapers. So uh, I, I'm very interested in um, how labor is very much involved in this conversation. From my experience in California, I feel like there's a lot of wariness in the labor space around basic income because it sounds like you know we're, we're giving up on work and on labor. And, uh, and there's just a, a lot of skepticism. Um, and I'm wondering if 
that is true in Chicago and the Midwest as well, or if it's a different type of conversation? So one thing is clear. Um, labor is leading the charge in raising wages, guaranteeing benefits. I chaired the Working Families Task Force in Chicago to guarantee paid sick leave for half a million people who weren't covered before. And labor was integral in that effort. So labor is truly leading the charge and restoring dignity within the workplace as the economy's changed. The thing that we also need to recognize is that in many ways, simply working doesn't pay the bills. It's not enough because um, wages have been suppressed for so long. They've been stagnant for so long. Their work in and of itself doesn't pay. And yet we've got this narrative around the dignity of work. Um, you know, I'd like to, you know, just simply quote Mayor Tubbs in Stockton, which is dignity should be just assigned to a human being, not because they work or they don't work, just because that's what we should do. We should assign it to people. And then once we do that, we should think about, okay, if work isn't paying, then we should be raising wages. And that perhaps basic income is a way to put a spotlight on why the 5 for 15 is important or why fair scheduling are, is an important practice, right? Why income smoothing is important if you have erratic scheduling. Um, or why smoothing over a quarterly payment process with the year and income tax credit is better than an annual payment because income volatility and when bills come due um, is a big factor in what makes people vulnerable. So I think labor is playing a role here in Chicago because they see the connective, how all these issues are connected. And, um, and they've been an incredible partner and SEIU and Tom Balanoff are are really forward-thinking leaders, and, and I, it's an honor to have them as part of the task force. And have you identified a, a funding source for a potential trial? So I think where we'll likely land in, as, as a task force is to, suggest, is to say that the city, one, should um, move forward on a pilot uh, in partnership with philanthropic partners in the private sector. Um, I think that would be a major leap forward. Um, primarily because it's one thing for academic institutions to pilot these studies. It's another thing when a municipality says, here's our stamp. Yeah, we don't have it all figured out right now. We don't have a funding source from public funds, but this is an important enough issue that we are going to partner with our partners in Chicago to move something forward. And I think that's where we're gonna likely land. Yeah, and if you could say a little bit more about that, what's the significance to you of yeah, like a, a city uh, stepping up and saying that this is important and that we should go forward with it as opposed to, you know, the um, some of the other trials that are from a, a, an organization doing it essentially on their own. So let me say, I have an academic background and I believe in the value of academic inquiry. I sometimes think it's important to challenge why we must study social before we implement it. Like, why do we have to like prove that helping poor people helps poor people? Like, why can't we just understand that if we can give major tax incentives to corporations or give tax cuts, a trillion dollars worth of them to sovereign funds and wealthy people that, and we don't have to think twice, we can build a joint strike fighter at the federal level and pour a trillion dollars into it, knowing that maybe part of what we're going to learn in investing in science, uh, that we'll, we'll just learn something, even if the project itself fails. Yet when it comes to social welfare policy, everything needs to be proved out. And we need to scope it so that we prevent people from cheating. How about just recognizing that just as defense contracts, 
some people will cheat social welfare uh, policy systems, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a greater good that's being uh, advanced. Yeah, and I think the key word you use there is helping. I think there's still this challenge to show that, I mean, it's as absurd as it sounds to say out loud, that that cash helps people as opposed to the things that we're used to government doing, like, you know, public education and public health and that kind of thing. It, it's funny. Uh, you know, um, as a politician, you never want to end up in the onion, right? Um, but the onion recently wrote an article about Chicago's universal basic income task force. And, and it was sort of like, okay, we're going to go talk to our readers. And one of the readers was like, you know, Jim Thompson. And he said, it's pretty naive to think that money can solve poverty. Right. And, uh, and you know, it, we all laughed about it, but I think it speaks to something in social welfare policy that we don't talk enough about, which is an unwillingness to be creative and a willingness to fail from time to time. Right. I mean, like we've in venture capitalists fund all kinds of startups with crazy ideas and, and most fail and some hit and then they make these massive returns. But in public policy, we're so worried about, bad press and the few people that cheat the system that we don't move anything um, from a, we're just not bold about things. And I just think maybe it's time to go back to a time where we were bold, like the new deal, right? The new deal uh, after the depression with FDR, we, we, he tried things, some things worked, some things didn't. And if something didn't work, he tried something new. Why is it so hard for us to do that today? Um, and I think direct cash transfers is a good way to start that, which is let's just try a federal jobs guarantee. Let's try basic income. Let's try universal child care and, and Medicaid for all. Let's go big. And then let's fix things as we move along, because right now things are so unequal, so out of whack. Um, you know, you think about what happened during the Russian or French revolutions. right? I mean, you don't want to get to a point where people just revolt. We just, we have to fix things. And I feel like almost what we're seeing now is, is kind of like a revolt, but through the context of a two-party system, where if one party wins, the other party loses, and there isn't this um, collective feeling of, let's just go for something together. So what would success look like to you for a basic income trial? In my mind, success is the city of Chicago putting their seal on a report and advancing a pilot program saying, this is what we believe in. Because there are going to be fits and starts. There are going to be people looking to poke holes in what a pilot looks like and what the pilot eventually does. And that's okay. Success is the third largest city in the country saying, we are worried about this coming crisis of student loans, housing insecurity, and the cost of childcare converging on uh, around automation and existing poverty. We're worried about these issues coming together and we need to be proactive. That is victory because that'll drive a national conversation, hopefully an international one, but really the federal government needs to act. We're heading to a very scary place and we can still recover from some of the really bad decisions over the last decade, two decades, but um, we really need to start making sure that people can achieve the American dream. And, that's, and, and the city taking the lead on that is success in my mind. Well, in that way, you've, you've already had a significant success. So um, those are the questions I had for you. Is there anything else you'd like to add? If I was just made from a disaster perspective, you know, before I became alderman, I, was, I researched the connections between disaster and poverty. And I got into politics, frankly, after Katrina, because it changed my life, right? After this massive hurricane hit the Gulf Coast, after a few days of people rallying around one another, 
uh, we recognized that 100,000 people got left behind. And, and then policymakers and politicians started saying, we told you to leave. Why didn't you leave? They're doing it today in the panhandle. And one of the things that we don't recognize is that the day-to-day disasters that impact people are becoming the big disasters that we have to deal with when there is a natural disaster. So if you don't have money to put gas in your car, you're not going to evacuate. If there are, if there's historical trauma or systemic racism that makes you distrustful of government, you're likely not to get a heat evacuation orders. Um, if you don't have anywhere to go, if you don't have professional portability, or if you're worried about losing your job, you might try riding out the storm. And so these day-to-day issues that people deal with are what they deal with during and after disaster. And so perhaps it's better going forward as we talk about UBI or basic income, as we talk about strengthening the social safety net, that we recognize that disasters aren't status levelers and that maybe we should be mitigating some of these issues because climate change, future of work, all this stuff is going to become one big soup. And so let's get out ahead of it. That was Owen speaking with Alderman Amea Pawar on the Basic Income Podcast. I thought he did a really good job of making automation and financial insecurity into one issue. So often those are treated as two separate tracks that either you're talking about one or you're talking about the other or you start talking about automation but try to steer the conversation toward wealth insecurity. And really, they're, they're one issue. You're talking about the same thing with those. And I thought he had a very clear vision around that. Right. This is all interconnected. And this is why I actually, generally, when people talk about future of work, I, I don't love that term because work's going to be fine. It will exist out there. The question is, what is the future of workers? And that's where you really tie together, oh, as, as things change, what does that actually mean for people's lives? Because that is what really matters here. I mean, I thought this was just another, such a powerful example of how cities can lead the way in the modern era. This is something where, I mean, you go back a few years, the idea that innovative policies would be coming from anywhere other than the federal or maybe state level would seem very odd to people. But I think the world we live in now, like these are the laboratories of democracy. And this is where we're really going to be able to, to try out and learn and, and see what's possible with doing things different. Yeah, I, I think I've said before, with a city, you can kind of keep an eye on everything. When you have a program of millions of people across a huge geographic area, you can have these macroeconomic analyses that give you a general picture. But with a city, you can sort of do both. And I would say beyond that, just having a more nimble form of government that can be able to, to move relatively quickly as opposed to what you have on the state and federal level. Right. And if you want to contact your city council member or your alderman, it's easy enough to do that in a city. Those people are pretty accessible for the most part. I also think Chicago itself is a fantastic place for a basic income trial. It is the unofficial capital of the Midwest. The Midwest is both geographically and politically in the center of the country. And I just think it would start so many good conversations and that would be very different from the ones we have out in California. So I am very excited about the possibility of this happening. Right. There still is this view that, oh, basic income, Silicon Valley policy. And if we can have other cities that that don't, don't seem so tech focused, don't seem so blue, that's a good way to suddenly make this feel more close to home for, for a lot of places. I was also, frankly, pretty blown away at the level of support there was for moving ahead with this task force. 
the fact that a supermajority of the aldermans actually voted to advance this, I feel like that it generally there's, at least on my side, a perception that it still is an uphill battle to get political stakeholders to actually move forward with basic income programs and seeing how how much enthusiasm it, it seems like there was for this pilot, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that maybe that marks a change in, in people's attitudes. Maybe this is just communicating something that was already there and, and just we collectively hadn't been able to see yet. Yeah, and I'll just add that the fact that Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of Chicago, I don't know what he actually thinks about this program and if he's not running for re-election. So you know, he might have just thought, I'm not going to stand in the way of this. There's too much momentum. But the fact that he's not standing in the way and is maybe even supportive, to me, speaks volumes just because he's one of these people that I think tries to find the center of his own party and doesn't do anything too controversial. Um, so if he is willing to go forward with this, I, I think that that says something to me. And I also think it's both impressive and smart what a breadth of stakeholders are involved in the task force. The fact that there is SEIU, the Red Cross, the Heartland Foundation, tech, social justice, having this really broad and diverse set of people involved in the planning here is certainly going to make it far more likely that whatever, whatever folks come up with, there's a good chance it could actually happen. It just makes me think again of the whole Midwest versus Silicon Valley thing. I think a basic income program that came out of somewhere like the Midwest doesn't have to be Chicago, but it would be a very different feel to something that comes out of Silicon Valley where it feels like we are eliminating your jobs, but here's a little bit of money to tie you over. Whereas if it comes from the Midwest, I think it might be the same program, but it doesn't have that feel. And I think having that set of stakeholders really speaks to that. Well, I'll be very excited to see what comes out of this task force. That'll do it for this episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davidson. Please rate us and review us on the podcast service of your choice. And please tell your friends, we're always looking to bring more people into the movement. Talk to you next week. Thank you.